Blog Talk Radio. that came last in human history and will be first to vanish on the way back to the subhuman. An inventor is a man who asks why of the universe and lets nothing stand between the answer and his mind. Like the man who discovered the use of steam or the man who discovered the use of oil, I discovered a source of energy which was available since the birth of the globe but which men had not known how to use except as an object of worship, of terror, and of legend about a thundering god. I completed the experimental model of a motor that would have made a fortune for me and for those who had hired me, a motor that would have raised the efficiency of every human installation using power and would have added the gift of higher productivity to every hour you spend at earning your living. Then one night at a factory meeting, I heard myself sentenced to death by reason of my achievement. Brothers and sisters, welcome! I heard three parasites assert that my right to exist was conditional and depended on the satisfaction of their desires. The common good. Jobs for everybody. Free pizza. The purpose of my ability, they said, was to serve the needs of those who were less able. I had no right to live, they said, by reason of my competence for living. The greatest gift is a portion of thyself. And any of them that get in our way, we'll run right up their sorry back, pants on their sorry heads. We are our brothers and sisters keepers, aren't we? We are. Then I saw what was wrong with the world. I saw what destroyed men and nations, and where the battle for life had to be fought. I saw that the enemy was an inverted morality, and that my sanction was its only power. I saw that evil was impotent that evil was the irrational, the blind, the anti-real, and that the only weapon of its triumph was the willingness of the good to serve it. Just as the parasites around me were proclaiming their helpless dependence on my mind and were expecting me voluntarily to accept a slavery they had no power to enforce, so throughout the world and throughout men's history, in every version and form, from the extortions of loafing relatives to the atrocities of collectivized countries, it is the good, the able, the men of reason, who act as their own destroyers, who transfuse to evil the blood of their virtue and let evil transmit to them the poison of destruction. I saw that there comes a point in the defeat of any man of virtue when his own consent is needed for evil to win and that no manner of injury done to him by others can succeed if he chooses to withhold his consent. I saw that I could put an end to your outrage by pronouncing a single word in my mind. I pronounced it. The word was, no, I quit that factory, I quit your world, I made it my job to warn your victims and to give them the method and the weapon to fight you. The method was to refuse to deflect retribution, the weapon was justice. If you want to know what you lost when I quit and when my strikers deserted your world, Stand on an empty stretch of soil in a wilderness unexplored by men and ask yourself what manner of survival you would achieve and how long you would last if you refused to think, with no one around to teach you the motions, or if you chose to think, how much your mind would be able to discover. Ask yourself how many independent conclusions you have reached in the course of your life and how much of your time was spent on performing the actions you learned from others. Ask yourself 
Whether you would be able to discover how to till the soil and grow your food. Whether you would be able to invent a wheel, a lever, an induction coil, a generator, an electronic tube. Then decide whether men of ability are exploiters who live by the fruit of your labor and rob you of the wealth that you produce. And whether you dare to believe that you possess the power to enslave them. Take a look around you. You savages. You have never discovered the industrial age. And you cling to the morality of the barbarian era when a miserable form of human subsistence was produced by the muscular labor of slaves. Every mystic had always longed for slaves to protect him from the material reality he dreaded. But you, you grotesque little atavists, stare blindly at the skyscrapers and smokestacks around you and dream of enslaving the material providers who are scientists, inventors, industrialists. When you clamor for public ownership of the means of production, you are clamoring for public ownership of the mind. I have taught my strikers that the answer you deserve is only try and get it. You proclaim yourself unable to harness the forces of inanimate matter, yet propose to harness the minds of men who are able to achieve the feats you cannot equal. You proclaim that you cannot survive without us, yet propose to dictate the terms of our survival. You proclaim that you need us, yet indulge the impertinence of asserting your right to rule us by force, and expect that we, who are not afraid of that physical nature which fills you with terror, will cower at the sight of any lout who has talked you into voting him a chance to command us. You propose to establish a social order based on the following tenets: That you're incompetent to run your own life, but competent to run the lives of others. That you're unfit to exist in freedom, but fit to become an omnipotent ruler that you're unable to earn your living by the use of your own intelligence, but able to judge politicians and to vote them into jobs of total power over arts you have never seen, over sciences you have never studied, over achievements of which you have no knowledge, over the gigantic industries where you, by your own definition of your capacity, would be unable successfully to fill the job of assistant greaser. This idol of the cult of zero worship is your image of man and your standard of value in whose likeness you strive to refashion your soul. It's only human you cry in defense of any depravity, reaching the stage of self-abasement where you seek to make the concept human mean the weakling, the fool, the rotten liar, the failure, the coward, the fraud, and to exile from the human race the hero, the thinker, the producer, the inventor, the strong, the purposeful, the pure. As if to feel were human, but to think were not. As if to fail were human, but to succeed were not. As if corruption were human, but virtue were not. In order to deprive us of honor that you may then deprive us of our wealth, you have always regarded us as slaves who deserve no moral recognition. You praise any venture that claims to be non-profit and damn the men who make the profits that make the venture possible. Public welfare is the welfare of those who do not earn it. Those who do are entitled to no welfare. The public to you is whoever has failed to achieve any virtue or value. Whoever achieves it, whoever provides the goods you require for survival, ceases to be regarded as part of the public or as part of the human race. What blank out permitted you to hope that you could get away with this muck of contradictions and to plan it as an ideal society? when the no of your victims was sufficient to demolish the whole of your structure? What permits any insolent beggar to wave his sores in the face of his betters and to plead for help in the tone of a threat? You cry, as he does, that you are counting on our pity. But your secret hope is the moral code that has taught you to count on our guilt. You expect us to feel guilty of our virtues in the presence of your vices, wounds, and failures. Guilty of succeeding at existence, guilty of enjoying the life that you damn, yet beg us to help you to live. Do you want to know who is John Gold? I am the first man of ability who refused to regard it as guilt. I am the first man who would not do penance for my virtues or let them be used as the tools of my destruction. I am the first man who would not suffer martyrdom at the hands of those who wished me to perish for the privilege of keeping them alive. I am the first man who told them that I did not need them, 
and until they learned to deal with me as traders giving value for value, they would have to exist without me as I would exist without them. Then I would let them learn whose is the need and whose the ability. And if human survival is the standard, whose terms would set the way to survive. I have done by plan and intention what had been done throughout history by silent default. There have always been men of intelligence who went on strike in protest and despair, but they did not know the meaning of their action. The man who retires from public life to think, but not to share his thoughts. The man who chooses to spend his years in the obscurity of menial employment, keeping to himself the fire of his mind, never giving it form, expression, or reality, refusing to bring it into a world he despises. The man who is defeated by revulsion, the man who renounces before he is started. The man who gives up rather than give in. The man who functions at a fraction of his capacity, disarmed by his longing for an ideal he has not found. They are on strike. On strike against unreason. On strike against your world and your values. But not knowing any values of their own, they abandon the quest to know. In the darkness of their hopeless indignation, which is righteous without knowledge of the right and passionate without knowledge of desire. They concede to you the power of reality and surrender the incentives of their minds. And they perish in bitter futility as rebels who never learn the object of their rebellion, as lovers who never discovered their love. Now, Good evening, folks, and welcome to another hour of the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. That was John Gould speaking. Today's date is May 24th, 2012. Beautiful Old Town Alexandria is where I am. United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. Ask yourselves... This question. What would happen if the inventors, the producers of this great nation, and in fact the world, went on strike, ceased to produce when the Movers of the world stop moving. We have Occupy Wall Street. We have riots in the street. We have the 99% railing against the 1%. They produce the 99%. Nothing. At least not those 99 percenters who are protesting. They're not working, for the most part. They're spending their days sleeping in parks, throwing rocks and bottles at police, rioting, asking for their fair share. Asking for what they believe is rightfully theirs. And by what's rightfully theirs, I mean what's yours. There are those of you out there who believe in the 99%. You believe that you're owed something. That those of us who produce, those of us who make this engine run owe you something, that somehow we've exploited you. We've exploited your labor. And that we owe you something. In fact, we should all share equally. Because when everyone is special, no one is. The U.S. economy is crumbling. Businesses are collapsing in record numbers. 
The real unemployment rate approaches 15% or higher. 45 million Americans are on food stamps. On food stamps. Over 10.8 million Americans are on the disability rolls. Tax revenues are down dramatically. All this and more. While Obama has added thousands of new IRS agents, added over 60,000 new mandates, rules, and regulations, turned the National Labor Relations Board over to radical union hacks, also passed rules to satisfy radical extremist environmentalists, and chooses to target and demonize and punish the wealthy. Is this a coincidence or or are these are these tragic situations related? Everything happening today under Obama resembles the storyline of Ayn Rand's famous book Atlas Shrugged. Rand prophesized a a country dominated by socialist, Marxist and statist where polluters, freeloaders, and poverty promoters live off the productive class to rationalize and justify the theft of money and assets of business owners. The looters, or the looter class, demonize the wealthy. Does that sound familiar? Well, folks... The central plot of Atlas Shrugged is that in response to being demonized, overtaxed, overregulated, and punished for success, success, American business owners go on strike, dropping off the grid and refusing to risk their hard-earned capital and work long hours away from their families in order to support those unwilling to put in the same effort, the same blood, the same sweat, and the same tears. Because off that, of, 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 because of that storyline, the original proposed title of the book was actually The Strike. The Business Class. The business class went on strike to teach us that civilization cannot survive when people are slaves to government. And that without a productive class of innovative business owners willing to risk their own money to start businesses, there are no jobs and no taxes to pay for government. And author Ayn Rand believed if you demonized and punished the wealthy, you would kill the goose that lays the golden eggs. Jobs would disappear forever. In Obama's America, has become reality. Fiction has become fact. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Hey, the call in number is 347-884-8500. Study economics. A free economy will not break down. All depressions are caused by government interference. That we should strip away regulations, consumer protections, let the market run wild, and prosperity would rain down on all of us. Uh, it hasn't worked out that way. The cure is always uh, offered so far to take more of the poison that caused the disaster. And so now we've got to take some decisive action. This plan's one reason that mortgage interest rates are now at near historic lows. To that end, we've launched a program designed to support the markets for more affordable auto loans, student loans, and small business loans, a program that's already securitized more of this lending in the last week than in the last four months combined. Depressions are not a result of a free economy. Uh, labor leaders get together to initiate legislation to help labor. That is only acting on the same principle, namely all parties agreeing that it is proper for the state to legislate in favor of one economic group or another. Middle class need a rescue package. It means help 
for homeowners so that they can stay in their homes. It means that we are helping state and local governments uh, set up road projects and bridge projects. You need somebody working for you, and you've got to have somebody in Washington who's thinking about the middle class and not just those who can afford to hire lobbyists. The country is run by majority rule through ballot, and that majority seems to prefer to vote for this modified welfare state. Oh, I don't believe that. You know as well as I do that the majority today has no choice. As President of the United States, Alan, I would order the Secretary of the Treasury to immediately buy up the bad home loan mortgages in America. The second step we took was to launch a plan to stabilize the housing market. Yesterday, Secretary Geithner announced a new plan that will partner government resources with private investment to buy up the assets that are preventing our banks from lending money. What do you mean? The majority has never been offered a choice between control and freedom. Until we stabilize home values in America, we're never going to start turning around and creating jobs. The strategy to create jobs? Fixing our economy. That's why we put in place a comprehensive strategy designed to attack this crisis on all fronts. But we must remember that we can get there if we travel that road as one nation, as one people. Is that not true? No, it isn't. Oh. Uh, this country was made not by rubber barons, but by independent men, by industries who succeeded on sheer ability. And Which having... Ability, I mean without political force, help, or compulsion. And we're back with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. The business class. The business class went on strike to teach us that civilization cannot survive when people are slaves to government. The lesson of Atlas Shrugged is that without the $250,000 income earners paying into Social Security, th that there are no pensions for the poor and lower middle class. Without the wealthy owners of million-dollar mansions paying $25,000 annual property tax bills, there's no funding for public schools. Without the wealthy paying into Medicare, there is no free health care for the elderly. Without capitalists motivated by profit, there are no discoveries of uh, eradicating polo or creating miraculous cancer and AIDS drugs. Without capitalists motivated by profit, there are no jobs, period. That is what happens when the Producers of society go on strike to protect themselves from looters. And Ayn Rand was warning, she was warning the looters that their consequences to their overzealous actions. She was warning that if the productive class felt used, ripped off and taken for granted, they would go on strike, stop working, retire early, go underground, or move to places where achievement is celebrated and that where they feel appreciated. Example, as a result of the health care mandate, Obamacare, many doctors have said that if, in fact, the Affordable, the Affordable Care Act is upheld, they will re retire. They will retire early. They will move to another country. They will cease to serve as doctors here in this nation. And what that will do is that will leave us with a shortage of doctors. Our health care would be in disasters and tatters. You thought things were bad when you thought those evil drug companies and the healthcare system was taking advantage of you, where you were paying too much, imagine what will happen when good, qualified doctors go on strike and refuse to work. Oh, you say, they won't do that. They're too greedy. They want their money. Something is better than nothing. I submit that those great doctors 
will leave this country. And they'll make good money elsewhere, in other states, in other countries. The latest U.S. Census provides Ayn, proves that Ayn Rand is right. Under Obama, the wealthy are striking, voting with their feet. They're moving to low-tax red states in droves, escaping from high-tax blue states where they're being demonized and punished right here in my own backyard. The great state of Maryland has seen fit to overtax anyone making $100,000 or more. The absurdity of such a thing. Just a few miles away, just across the border, if you will, is the great state of Virginia, West Virginia. Both states have extremely low tax rates. All one needs to do is hire a U-Haul truck or some competent movers and move just a few miles to the south. They're still in the general area of where their businesses are, where they can conduct business, where they work, where they can live. They're still in the same area. What's going to happen to the state of Maryland as the result of these tax boosts is they will wind up being very much like the state of California. Busted. Bankrupt. Broke. And as I stated, the census provides evidence that Obama's tax and spend philosophy is a dismal fail failure. The latest census proves Ayn Rand is right. Over 100,000 citizens escaped from high-tax New York in the past decade. Over 1.3 million escaped from high-tax California in the past decade. California's state tax authority recently reported that the number of Californians earning 500k per year or more dropped by almost 40%. Cal California has lost over 440,000 high-tech jobs. Over 1 trillion dollars has transferred from New York to zero tax uh, Texas. Imagine that. My main man, my idol, my role model, Rush Limbaugh, originated his broadcast in California, relocated from California to New York. New York taxed him into oblivion. He left the great state of New York and relocated to no-tax Florida. Living large as usual. And as I indicated, the census proves and provides evidence that Obama's tax and spend philosophy is a failure, an economic disaster, a job killer. And it should come as no surprise that about two million fewer Americans are working than before Obama's stimulus. It should also surprise no one that over 5 million Americans have joined the disability roles since Obama became president, and that the disability roles are growing twice as fast as the job roles, that food stamps are up 70% under Obama, 70%. The high-tech uh, revolution has killed the progressive tax-and-spend dream. Because of the Internet, email, texting, Facebook, Twitter, Skype, iPhones, and iPads, business owners can now run their businesses from anywhere. I myself am one. I am a historian. I'm contacted to Fox, History, the History Channel, uh, uh, National Geographics, A&E. I can run my business from the deck of a cruise ship. I have conducted my business on the beach in St. Martin. I don't need to have an office. I don't need to be anywhere. <laughs> and as a result, 
folks like me are choosing to move to places where taxes and lower uh, where taxes are lower and the atmosphere is friendly for business. Now, the latest census shows that the fastest growing states are all low tax and no tax states that are friendly to businesses such as Nevada, Texas, Arizona, Florida, Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, Alaska, Washington State, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Virginia. Why? Why? Why would the great state of Maryland cut its own throat? Well, we'll take a short break and we'll answer that question when we come back. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. And of course, I'm your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. In recent years, the conservatives have gradually come to a dim realization of the weakness in their position, of the philosophical flaws that had to be corrected. But the means by which they are attempting to correct it are worse than the original weakness. There are three interrelated arguments used by today's conservatives to justify capitalism, which can best be designated as the argument from faith, the argument from tradition, the argument from depravity. Sensing their need of a moral base, many conservatives decided to choose religion as their moral justification. They are claiming that freedom, capitalism, and America are based on faith in God. Politically, such a claim contradicts the fundamental principles of the United States. In America, religion is a private matter and must not be brought into political issues. Intellectually, to rest one's case on faith is to concede that reason is on the side of one's enemies, to concede that there are no rational arguments to support the ideas which created this country, no rational justification for freedom, justice, property, individual rights, and they, they can be accepted only on faith. Consider the implications of that attempt. While the communists are claiming that they are the champions of reason and science, the conservatives conceded and retreat into the realm of mysticism, into another world, surrendering this world to communism. It is the kind of victories that communist irrational ideology could never have won on its own merits. Now consider a second argument the attempt to justify capitalism on the ground of tradition. Some people declare that to be a conservative means to uphold the status quo, the given, the established, regardless of what it might be, regardless of whether it is good or bad, right or wrong, defensible or indefensible. They declare that we must defend the American political system not because it is right, but because our ancestors chose it. Not because it is good, but because it is old. America was created by men who broke with all political traditions and originated a system unprecedented in history, relying on nothing but the unaided power of their own intellect. But those neoconservatives are now trying to tell us that America was the product of faith in revealed truth and of uncritical respect for the traditions of the past. It is certainly irrational to use the new as a standard of value, to believe that an idea or a policy is good merely because it is new. But it is much more preposterously irrational to use the old as a standard of value, to claim that an idea or a policy is good merely because it is ancient. The liberals are constantly asserting that they represent the future, that they are new, progressive, forward-looking, etc. And they denounce the conservatives as old-fashioned representatives of a dead past. The conservatives conceded and thus helped the liberals to propagate one of today's most grotesque contradictions. Collectivism and dictatorship 
the frozen status society is offered to us in the name of progress, while capitalism, the only free, dynamic, creative society ever devised, is defended in the name of passivity and stagnation. The plea to preserve tradition as such appeals to the worst elements in men and rejects the best. It appeals to fear, cowardice, conformity, self-doubt, and rejects creativeness, originality, independence, self-reliance. It is an outrageous plea to address to human beings anywhere, but the more outrageous here, in America, a country based on the principle that man must stand on his own feet, live by his own judgment, and move constantly forward as a productive, creative innovator. All right, we're back with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Here's the deal, folks. There are those who will suggest that we should live our lives for someone else. How many times have you heard that? Give of yourself. How many How many folks have you say, heard say, I live for my children? I live for my family. I live for someone else. I submit that we live for ourselves. And if we're doing the right things, then others benefit as a result. Do you think that Thomas Edison invented the light bulb for someone else? For the benefit of all mankind. Oh yeah, that's a good platitude, isn't it? But he did it for himself. He did it because that's what he did. He was an inventor. Did Alexander Graham Bell invent the telephone? Well, there's some debate as to who actually invented it or received the patent for it first. But for this case, we'll... We'll go with Bell. Do you think he did it for all mankind? Or did he do it for himself? Did he do it because he was motivated so that your mama could use a telephone to call you? I don't think so. I don't live for my children. They live for themselves. But how many of you out there have said that I live for my children? I live for this person or that person. I live for my wife. Now, low-tax and no-tax states that are friendly to businesses, once again, Nevada... Texas, Arizona, Florida, Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, Alaska, Washington, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Virginia. Low-tax and no-tax states. I submit that sometime in the very near future, the states that I just rattled off will become the richest states in this country and the others will fall. Especially the great state of Maryland, which has opted to enact a 25% tax increase on anyone making over $100,000. They're considered to be rich. Meanwhile, the states they escape from are all big tax states, big union states, such as California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Illinois, my state where I'm from, Michigan. Taxpayer, business owners, and retirees with assets are all fleeing the states being run like, like, uh, like Obama is running the nation. 
Obama and his socialist cabal should be afraid. Very afraid. If Obama is reelected, these valuable job producers and taxpayers of society won't be changing states anymore. And they'll be changing countries. They'll pick up and leave America altogether. There's a big world out there begging them to come. Places like Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, Monte Carlo, Costa Rica, Panama, the Bahamas, and the Cayman Islands are all low-tax havens that appreciate business owners and their sacrifices. They welcome wealthy expatriates. They celebrate individual achievement. They reward instead of punish business owners and financial risk takers. Even Canada is now a destination of choice for Americans searching for economic freedom. Under Obama, the U.S. has dropped to number 10. Number 10 on the economic freedom list, while Canada is now number 6. Is that frightening? Remember when America used to be number 1 in so many categories? But under this president, we've been marginalized. America has fallen each and every year. We are now one breath away from being Greece. And you, you, you support him. I submit that anyone who supports Barack Hussein Obama, supports the failure of the United States of America. Any one of you who supports Obama and his policies support the destruction, the ultimate decline of this great nation. Any one of you who supports Barack Hussein Obama and have children or grandchildren or both, are supporting the failure of those children and grandchildren. Ask yourselves, do you want your children to live in a country where they are reduced to being just average, where everybody is equal, where everybody is special? Remember the line from The Incredibles? When everybody's special, no one will be. Now, I'm just one small businessman. But because of my background as a Marine officer, a historian, tea partier, conservative, I've heard from thousands of business owners who all have the same message. And they're thinking of leaving America. Or they're visiting other countries right now to decide where to go. Or they're making preparations to leave in case Obama's reelected. And just as Ayn Rand predicted, business owners are going on strike permanently. As my father once said, I'd love to hate rich people, but no poor person has ever given me a job. Atlas is shrugging, folks. Ayn Rand is saying, I told you so. And the strike is on. Those of you who support Mr. Barack Hussein Obama, Re-elect him. I dare you. You will suffer. You will suffer a nation that will rapidly descend so far in decline. 
Ask yourselves this question. Those of you of a certain ethnic background. What good did Barack Obama do you? What good has it done to elect the first black president of the United States of America? Can you now put, take that black pride, your blackness and your pride, as Tom Joyner said, to the bank? Can you take your blackness and your pride and fill up your tank with gas? Can you take your blackness and your pride to the grocery store? Can you pay your mortgage with your blackness and your pride in electing the first black president of the United States of America, the first socialist Marxist black president of the United States? How is that working out for you? Mr. Afrocentric black person, you talk about how prideful you are in making history and electing the first black president of the United States. You talk about the pride and how we as black people should support the first black president of the United States. Let's not deal with the facts Tom Joyner said. Let's just deal with our blackness. In our pride, we have an opportunity to reelect the first black president of the United States, he said. And I'm not ashamed to say that we should reelect him because he's black. That's what Tom Dorner said. But how's that working out for you right now? With nearly 16% unemployment in the black community. Has Barack Obama paid your car note? Has he paid your mortgage? Has he paid your insurance? What has Barack Obama done for you? Does he even visit the black neighborhoods? When was the last time you saw Barack Obama in your neighborhood? And while Barack Obama was raking in big bucks, hanging out with the likes of Ricky Martin and George Clooney, 40 thousand dollars a plate how much of that jack did he give you he's all about spreading the wealth he said to joe the plumber if we spread the wealth it's good for everybody how much of that forty thousand dollars a plate did he give you did he send any of that money to any of the black churches new orleans chicago detroit no, no, no. No, no, That That $40,000 a plate, that money goes into his campaign, campaign coffers for his reelection bid. That goes into buying buttons and bumper stickers and those yard signs. And, oh, and, of course, airtime. So you, Mr. Blackman, once again, are not benefiting at all from having the first black president of the United States. And yet, you coo. You label him the Messiah. You kiss his narrow ass. And yet, he does nothing for you. He ignores you. You don't even exist. Because he knows that you're going to vote for him no matter what. He's using you. And you're grateful to be used. You will get nothing. Nothing in return. If I were president of the United States and I was raking in $40,000 a plate $40,000 a plate that's a salary for some people some people make that much in a year if that imagine your socialist Marxist president talking about spreading the wealth if he decided he was going to spread some of that 40000 per plate around to you. How many, how many of you folks could he have fed, clothed, paid your mortgage and your car note and your insurance and put gas in your car if he gave $40,000 to this church? Or $40,000 to a homeless shelter. Or $40,000, well, 
you get the picture. Instead, he asked for your votes so that he can spread taxpayer dollars around, tax the rich, so that he can give to you. But here's what's going to happen, folks. The rich are going to go on strike. We're going to leave. I myself am considering going to St. Martin. I'm considering retiring to Puerto Rico, the state, the place of which I was born. I'm considering buying a small house on the beach. I'm considering taking my meager wealth and going on strike. Oh, I can always come back when America has gotten its act together. After all, I won't go too far. Just a short plane ride away. Southern Sense is in the house. Great radio show. Tomorrow, 2 p.m. Be there or be square. America. Atlas is shrugging. Ayn Rand is saying, I told you so. Heed the message. As it was written... In 1957. Oh, it was just a novel. A work of fiction. Funny, though, that that work of fiction is coming true. There are those of you who will say right here and now, it's never going to happen. The rich have it too good here. They'll never just pack up and leave. And if they leave, how are they going to take their wealth with them? How are they going to take their money with them? A lot of us are reverting our cash, our holdings into gold. Gold bars, gold coins, diamonds. That stuff is exchangeable anywhere. We don't have to have actual dollar bills anymore. Think about it. Or would you rather the wealth producers, the job creators leave so you can take over? Well, I'd love to see how well you do. Start a commune, perhaps? A American commune where every state uh, what, we, we barter, we, we, we buy and sell? Would you start all over again without us? I submit that if we use the lot that's uh, rioting in Chicago and those Occupy Wall Street wannabe hippies from New York, if they're the future of this country, you guys are screwed. You're pretty much done. Kiss your asses goodbye. If that's who you're going to depend on to rule, to run this country, along with that clown of a president we have, Barack Hussein Obama, you deserve what you get, America. Those of you who voted for that idiot and who plan to vote for him again, the great unifier who is going to bring us all together. And every single time that idiot stands upon a podium, he talks about the division between us and them. It's us versus them. It's we versus they. It's rich versus poor. It's haves versus have-nots. I swear to God that if this fool, the President of the United States, doesn't sound like a damn antichrist, I don't know who is. I think this idiot has been sent to destroy this great nation. I think that he is the Manchurian President. And his sole purpose for being our president is to run this country into the ground, to break our backs, to destroy this country. Every single time he steps to the podium, he tells us in some small way or another that capitalism no longer works. Folks, we're like that frog that you put in a warm bucket of water. 
and you slowly, slowly turn up the heat. The frog has no idea what the hell is going on until it's too late and he's tits up and taking on water. That's what Obama's doing to us. He is slowly, with each speech, telling us that capitalism no longer works. What do you think he's saying when he says those old ways don't work and that Romney wants to take us back to the old ways of doing business? He's consistently telling us and drilling it into our heads in a subliminal way and then in some ways outright that capitalism is the root of all evil, that capitalism is dead, and that we must now become a collective. Listen to his speeches. Listen carefully. And for those of you like me who like your stuff, who like your money, who like your life, who enjoy the way you live, vote against that idiot and get him out of here. And let's be done with this matter. Let Obama be what he has always been. What he was destined to be. Just a footnote in history. That's all. Shake it out. Let's get rid of this clown. I want to thank everybody for listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report tonight. All my guests, Evil Clown, Blog Talk, Alexander Solo... I am John Galt, Southern Sense, who has a great show on. Will be tomorrow. Be there at B-Square. Oh, and GGT was in here earlier. His show is on 1130 tonight. Check him out. In the meantime, we're done for the night. Remember, who is John Galt? Atlas will shrug. But there's all there's time to stop it. This time, God bless you, and God bless the United States of America.